is our week in the Weege. Hello and welcome to Week in the Weege. I'm Natalie Crawford. And I'm Colin Stone. This week in the Weege, trees, tarpaulin, trampolines hitting train lines. Storm Alley <laughs> tries to derail Scotland's public transport. MSPs hear how the Glasgow School of Art Macintosh building was a fire trap waiting to happen. We discuss what went wrong. New figures show drink spiking incidents in Scotland have doubled in three years. And Paisley Museum closes its doors for the next four years ahead of a multi-million pound restoration. This is a week in the Ouija. So Colin, did you get blown away by Storm Alley? It's, it's funny. I think Clydebank has its own weather system. Because yeah, 100%. suddenly it just went from being like, oh, it's a, it looks like a really nice day out there. And suddenly it's the apocalypse <laughs> in rain and wind form. <laughs> I know. But thankfully I, I drove. So I uh, avoided all the chaos which unfolded, which was great because I saw what was happening at Central I didn't want any of that <laughs> That's a shame for all the poor commuters that were stuck in it though But I don't understand how time and time again we know the bad weather's coming and yet it still ends in queues and queues outside every well, train station That was a beautiful segue because you're right I mean ScotRail and basically everyone in the Central Bell who uses trains to get home had a yeah, they had a pretty rough time of it on Wednesday following those high winds We'll discuss this in a minute First of all, let's hear from ScotRail Alliance Managing Director Alex Hines, who I spoke to kind of at the height of the, the weather front on Wednesday afternoon. We prepare for bad weather all year round. Uh, we've been preparing for this particular storm since Monday, so making sure we've got uh, as many people uh, on the ground so we're able to respond as quickly as we can. So we have teams, chainsaw gangs, for example, we make sure that uh, we, we get more people on, on the line so we're able to reinstate lines uh, and services as soon as we possibly can. Uh, is there much that more that ScotRail could have done? I mean, it's, it's Mother Nature, really, isn't it? Well, we've got to invest more in making Scotland's railway more resilient to this changing weather patterns we've seen. We're seeing hotter summers, we're seeing colder winters, we're seeing more intense rainfall, more intense storms. Uh, and that's why we're investing record amounts in uh, our autumn planning, for example, on improving our drainage systems, on improving the quality of our tracks so we're able to cope with the worst that Mother Nature throws at us. So, Colin... On Wednesday evening, there were no trains running out of Glasgow Central. I think all but a handful of the company's services were hit. Were ScotRail ready for this? Can they be ready for this? Well, see, this is the thing. I do feel a bit of sympathy, a smidge of sympathy for ScotRail. I mean, sure, if it's like a normal Tuesday and it's blue skies and your train's cancelled for no reason, fair enough. Stick the boot in. This time, (laughs) I do feel uh, slightly sympathetic because when's the last time you remember a storm as, okay, sure, that wasn't a beast from the east, but a storm that vicious in September? Yeah. Just doesn't happen. Shouldn't they have just cancelled all the trains? The argument is that they would cancel it and, you know, people would have to find their own way into work because the problem was nothing was cancelled in the morning because everything was fine. And then people were at work and then suddenly, oh, I can't get home now. I live in Lanark. So... The, the issue would be, had they cancelled everything and it turned out to be a slight gust of, of wind, they would have been ridiculed for it. So I think they dealt with it as best they could. They said they've been planning for it since the previous Monday. Uh, mm. So that is enough planning, but you're right. At some point, Mother Nature takes over and you say, sure, we're going to try and be more resilient, but you can't be more resilient against a flying tree or a trampoline against a train. It's just not going to work. No, I mean, what are they going to do? Put a big 
bubble over all the train lines. The, the argument is that you you know every time you go and uh, we get this this fierce weather, you say, oh yeah, but Finland can cope with it, Norway can cope with it. I don't ever remember seeing videos of people being like, oh trampoline, trampoline, flying towards a train. You know, this no. just it just doesn't happen. It's, it's almost like only in Scotland do we get these sort of just mental weather events. Maybe they just don't have trampolines. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> are, there, are there children in Norway and Finland that are trampolineless? Well, the question really is, could Scotrail have done any more than they did? I don't think they could have because there's certain things, like Alex Hines, I don't think he said in that clip, there's certain trees they can't actually touch because they don't become Scotrail's property, in inverted commas, until they land on their train lines. They can't touch the trees which are, you know, sitting in someone's garden yeah. until the tree is halfway across the track. So I do feel slightly sympathetic. And uh, yeah, it's it was just a freak weather event. Yeah, the weather is crazy. I mean, we had Beast from the East. You and I were both out on that. <laughs> um, we had a summer. We did. We had something that looked like summer. And, and now we've got a stormy September. It's been a bit mad. The thing is, I think Scott Real, as much as he says, you know, we're going to spend a lot of money on this and we have spent money on, you know, uh, new programs to teach drivers how to deal with leaves on the line. And yeah, we're preparing for these uh, weather events. It is, I mean, I don't want to sound like an old person, but it does seem to be getting worse. Just these kind of freak events happen every so often. And, and honestly, I don't think there's much more the train operators, not just Scott Rail, but kind of across the UK. I don't know how much more they can do about it because... Other than chopping down trees and banning trampolines, weather's going to happen whether you like it or not. Global warming, innit? <laughs> it's a week in the weed. So it's three months since the massive fire devastated the Glasgow School of Arts Macintosh building and now the first steps are being taken to find out more about the circumstances surrounding the structure. MSPs on the Cultural Committee took evidence on Thursday from a handful of experts. Colin, you watched some of this and you were at both fires. (laughs) What happened at the committee? Can I just say, first of all, when you say, Colin, you were at both fires, that sounds incredibly suspicious. I did attend both not in a firefighting capacity, <laughs> in a reporting capacity. Um, I don't know. Uh, and it's sheer coincidence that I was at both. But yes, this one, you're right. As the Culture Committee were discussing, uh, essentially, trying to find out more, painting a, a picture of where the School of Art was at prior to, initially, the 2014 fire. So before we get into this, one of the panel, speaking before MSPs, was uh, Charles Rennie McIntosh scholar, Roger Billcliffe. That's a great title. That's uh, a fantastic name. And he gave his verdict on what went wrong four years ago. The school had spent £8.5 million of HLF money between 2008 and 2012 to make the building, in the words of its then director, fit for the 21st century. By not protecting those vents, it was by no means fit for the 21st century and was a fire trap waiting to happen. A fire trap waiting to happen. That is damning. That's as damning a phrase as it gets for the School of Art. And uh, I mean, he wasn't alone. There were so many sound clips you could pull from that hour-long hearing. You had Aileen Reid, who was a former staff member, saying all the staff knew in the Macintosh, you know, she'd worked there for something like 15 years. She said all the staff knew that the building was at risk. And regularly, she said this, they would have discussions as to how long they would have before they could get out if there was a fire. That's horrendous. It is, it is. And this is the thing, like this is, they were discussing the fire from four years ago. This is, uh, so 2014, they've not really touched on the most recent one. But if this is 
indicative of the kind of behind the scenes uh, attitudes at the art school then oh i mean you kind of dread to think did they just continue with this kind of lack lackadaisical attitude one more point just before we move on uh they did not have a bespoke fire inspector they had one health and safety ex- expert who repeatedly warned management about the health and safety risks and no. that's and that's where basically the the committee left off it was the greatest cliffhanger ever i'm gonna say something really controversial here <laughs> okay So, obviously, you've covered the fire extensively, and I have as well, to a certain degree. All this emphasis that has been put on restoring the Macintosh building to its former glory and taking it down brick by brick in the hope that they'll be able to build it back up again. See if that attitude had existed when all these staff were warning that it was due to go up in flames any minute then surely both these fires could have been avoided i think that's what the people who were speaking to msp today were essentially saying the warning signs were there people in the building knew it was a fire risk because of uh, i think the, the way that it was used was yeah the, the fact that it was precarious you know it had been essentially used and abused for a hundred years with very little modifications to it and as you heard from from roger, roger billcliffe it was a fire trap waiting to happen and that is what everybody knew like whether or not that was the phrasing they used. It wasn't like, yeah, this building's safe. I don't feel threatened at all by the, the structure or by anything going on. So, so yeah, I mean, it's no one's pointing the finger quite yet at where exactly the fault lies. But the next stage is management of the art school are expected to give evidence to the culture committee in the near future. Do you think it's a wee bit of a case of you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Uh, that's a, a flipping way to put it, but yeah. I think uh, they were accused, essentially, or certain members of the, the, the management accused of perhaps prioritising kind of the next shiny building they could name after themselves. That was a quote that was used by them, by one of the architects. Uh, the next shiny building, as opposed to looking after the crown jewel. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean really, it's going to be some time before we find out kind of what's next. A week in the Ouija. Now, a Glasgow woman's taken to Facebook this week to warn others to take better care while out on nights out. She had a nasty accident after allegedly having her drink spiked. And it comes in the same week that figures reveal the number of drink spiking incidents have doubled in Scotland. Natalie, this woman's post went absolutely viral on social media. It did. So the post came from Alex Taylor's sister, Ellie, and it shared some particularly graphic pictures oh, yeah. of what happened to Alex after she slipped from the window ledge of her first floor flat. Now, what Alex and Ellie say happened as Alex was in a night out, a student night in Glasgow at one of the, the city's big nightclubs, and there, you know, somebody else in her group took ill, and then she took ill. Um, Her behaviour was really, really out of character. One of her flatmates took her home, put her to bed and the next thing, she was on the window ledge having some serious hallucinations um, in her flat. Some passers-by stopped and phoned the police. They actually said that her screaming... she, She was naked, by the way, and they thought her screaming was because she was being sexually assaulted. Um, she then slipped from the window ledge, fell down onto the concrete below and cracked her skull. Oh, man. Um, and, and, and the pictures are particularly 
graphic and she's basically just warning is she all right yeah so she's at home now she is recovering at home with her family in aberdeen um she just studies in this city and yeah so her sister took to facebook just to to warn other women to take more care while on an on a night out and like like you said it comes in the same week where we've we've heard that these incidents are doubling in Scotland. Um, I spoke to to Donald McLeod, who owns the cat house and the garage, and and he says that maybe we should take those figures and that story with a pinch of caution, though. I was very worried at first uh, when I first read the report, certainly the headlines, but when you looked at the actual incidents, and it's alleged incidents, um, you know, arise from 12 to 23 uh, across a year, across Scotland, and compared to the millions of people that go out through the weekend, at the weekend, uh, I thought, hmm, well, let's, you know, let's reserve judgment in this. It would be very worrying. It would be, you know, for everybody if uh, if this was happening on a, a daily occurrence, of course. Uh, so I'm a wee bit sceptical about it because they are, after all, alleged incidents, and I'm wondering how many convictions actually come out of this. Uh, and the reason I say that is because there is a lot out there, uh, a lot of kids out there, or pe- people out there, who maybe take something that they shouldn't and maybe are embarrassed at the end of it and claim that their drinks are spiked. And I'm not saying that that spiking doesn't happen, but from my experience, certainly in the clubs, it is very, very, very rare because these drugs are hard to get a hold of. And the only advice, I've, you know, I've got a lot of advice, but one of the main pieces is be in your guard. Don't leave your drink unattended. And if you do think it's been, if you suspect your drink has been tampered with, you must report it to the management. So on the back of Donald McLeod there, is this a real concern, do you think? I'm not sure. I know, obviously, what happened to Alex is shocking, but I think it is also Rare, like Donald said, the actual numbers that go along with this report that found that the spiking incidents is, is doubled, the, the numbers are actually quite low. So in 2015, there was 10 reported cases and in 2017, that that jumped to 23. And like Donald said, that's in the backdrop of the millions and millions of people that go out year on year in Scotland to nightclubs. So maybe not. This is a week in the Weege. The doors of Paisley Museum have been closed for the last time before the venue undergoes a £42 million refurbishment. It's on the back of the town's failed bid to become the UK City of Culture in 2021. Okay, right, this, first of all, let me say, Paisley Museum, I really enjoy. I have been to before, I think it's lovely. Some some of the stuff they have in there is is incredible. But let's let's be frank here, £42 million is a lot. It's a lot of money. Yep. I'm sure that's that's coming from a variety of sources, charities, government, uh, local uh, city council, uh, local council too. Uh, but that that is a lot in a town which has notoriously struggled in terms of its image, in terms of its reputation, including the likes that it has. One of the most deprived areas in Scotland. So, just just talk me through kind of how we get to the stage where this museum is is getting this money. So the basically the breakdown of the money, first of all, um, about half, 24 million, is coming from Renfrewshire Council. There's another 4 million plus maybe more in the works from the Scottish Government. Uh, there's £4.9 million pounds being earmarked from the Heritage Lottery Fund um, and another kind of £4 million from other grants and trusts. Okay. So that's kind of the breakdown of the money. It's not all coming from Renfrewshire Council. And basically the thought process behind this is... 
get the museum to where it needs to be. Only 1% of the exhibits that that museum actually owns are on display. Wow. Yeah. They, they literally own hundreds of thousands of pieces and there is just a tiny fraction on display. Make it this big, amazing visitor attraction. Move the library down onto the high street because that's where the museum's going. It's going into the rest of the adjoining building which okay. currently hosts the library. Yeah. Um, they're going to start kind of rotating the exhibits so it's, they're going to keep it fresh all the time and attract tourists to Paisley kind of along the same vein and I'm not comparing Paisley Museum to the V&A that's just opened but along the same vein as that and hopefully, you know, massive boost to the economy and that'll in turn deal with the poverty that we've spoken about. Um, I caught up with Joyce McKellar who is the head of Renfrewshire Leisure earlier she was kind enough to give me a wee look around the museum before it shuts its doors for that one last time. The project basically is to take the building right back to its roots and then make sure that we have it as a modern functioning building. It's got the correct lighting heating, humidity to support our objects which are very very um, precious to us as a, a nation and also as a, a local people so I think that's the first and foremost priority of it. The second is to be able to display more of our objects. We have a Number, about 305,000 objects and all together and we can only display at the moment about 1% of those. We won't have a huge number to move in that but we certainly will have more of them in the display and also I think the, the big thing from us is to be able to try and get more recognition wider than just Paisley as well and also wider in Renfrewshire because there are uh, pockets of Renfrewshire who probably don't yet visit this museum and we need to make it exciting. We're also looking to make sure it's a museum that can continually change, not become staid as it probably has done in most museums do you know they, they open up with the collection out and display and there's very little movement of that collection we're trying to have a museum that will change um, reasonably often and that has been co-produced by local people okay so you've, you've made your point there and i would say it was a valiant effort by paisley to try and be the 2021 uk city of culture losing to uh coventry yeah coventry smothertry <laughs> absolutely my question would be though do you think in terms of Paisley kind of, yeah, trying to rediscover its image and get itself back on the map, is restoring the museum enough? I think so. I don't think, I don't even necessarily think it's a case of restoring its image because I think it did a lot of that work during the bids. Yes, that That's bid true. failed, but this revamp of the museum is part of, of the legacy from the bid. And Renfrewshire Council said that right from the very beginning, even if this bid fails, Paisley is changing forecasts suggest this revamp could generate £72 million for Paisley's economy and it's hoped it will attract around 125 visitors a year and that's almost four times the current numbers. Well, if if the podcast is still going in 2022, let's have a podcast outing to the newly refurbished museum. Oh, can we? Let's do it. We, you can come to mine for dinner after. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> it's a week... In the weeds. Well, that almost brings us to the end of the show. But before we finish up, it's once again time to find out how good our Glasgow geography is as we play Where in the Weeds. Yeah, each week one of us will take a turn to guess what part of Glasgow in the West the other is talking about based on three simple clues. <laughs> if we get it right on the first clue, it's three points. Second clue, it's two Third clue is one. It's my turn in the hot seat. And uh, Natalie, just to remind you, I'm currently winning 2-0 after your Joker debacle last week. It was a complete and utter nightmare. Okay. Um, Your clues were unfair. Clues were fine. Unjust. Too difficult. You just... But I'm going to get you back. Okay, go on then. Bring it on. Colin. (laughs) Yes. The River Clyde flows to the west and the Tweed flows to the east. Where am I? Motherwell. No. 
Okay. It's home to the only preserved gasworks in Scotland. Colin, where am I? Are you sure? Wait, no, I can't say Motherwell again. The only preserved gasworks? Yeah. New Lanark? No. <sighs> this, is, this is not easy. It's not supposed to be. Okay, okay, fine. This one has to be an easy clue, though. The closest towns are Lanark and Peebles. Right, so I would... Wait, Lanark and Peebles? Yep. What? Yep. Peebles is the other side of the country? Mm-hmm. Is this Glasgow in the west? Yes. And that's the closest town? Yep. Lanark and Peebles. Okay, well, first of all, can I, just, can I get like half point for being in the right area? Nah. <laughs> Nearest town, right. Okay, last That last was one. in the right area last week and I never got a laugh. <laughs> okay. Gonna have to rush you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I know, I know what I want to say. It starts with a B. Maybe. <sighs> Lamington. No. <laughs> it starts with a B. Lamington. I couldn't remember the name of the place I wanted to say. Bigger, Colin. I knew it was... I'm in Bigger. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Absolutely. It was on the tip of my tongue. Uh... Oh, that's so annoying. Oh, ah, well, that keeps the scores at 2-0 and I will redeem myself next week, make that 3-2 and then we will never play this ever again. Right, okay. I, can I get like a, a third of a point? Because I, no. like I got one letter of it and I was in the right general area. Don't care. Come on. No. Where's your heart, woman? Don't have one. <laughs> Fine. I'm still winning. It's still 2-0. For now. A Week in the Weege is a Radio Clyde News production. For the latest around the clock, follow on Twitter at Radio Clyde News. Oh, man. You're on. Okay. Well, man. Well, that brings us to the end of today's Week in the Weege. Join us again next time for more on the biggest stories across Glasgow and the West. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next week on A Week in the Weege.